Genesis chapter 25, uh, page 26 in the church Bible. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, means the book of beginnings. And it is because it records the beginning of the world, the beginning of marriage, uh, the beginning of the Sabbath, uh, the beginning of uh, sin, and the beginning of salvation, the beginning of the church, and so on. So it's the book of beginnings. And beginnings are very important. Some people say say today, you don't need the book of Genesis, we don't believe the book of Genesis, and that is like saying to a child, well, you don't need the alphabet to be able to read, Uh, you don't need small words, you don't need to learn these things, you can just go on to other things. We do need the book of beginnings. So let's read Genesis 25. We're reading about the end of the life of Abraham, one of the servants of God, one of those saved by faith through the Christ who would come, and then about his sons. And it's particularly uh, the, the section of his sons that we're now going to be looking at. We looked at the life of Abraham about six years ago, actually. So let's read Genesis 25. Abram took another wife, uh, Sarai is dead by this stage, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Ledishites, and the Lumites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanoch, Abida and Eldaah. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived a hundred and seventy-five years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar, the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahai Roy. This is the account of Abram's son Ishmael, whom Sarah's maidservant, Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Nafish, and Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the twelve tribal rulers 
according to their settlements and camps. Altogether, Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the border of Egypt, as you go towards Asher, and they lived in hostility towards all their brethren. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And then we read just a couple of verses in chapter 35 about the end of Isaac's life. Uh, Chapter 35, uh, page 39. So uh, chapter 35 and verse 28 Isaac lived a hundred and eighty years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Amen. Well, let us unite together in prayer, and if you're able, we invite you to stand as we call upon the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. And I recall that we've had two, three bites at Genesis uh, already in the past, and we are coming this evening uh, to look at the generation beyond Abraham. Abraham uh, died Uh, At the end of our last uh, series, or when we were dealing with that, we saw his death. And uh, as Hebrews 11 reminds us, from the moment God saved him from a life of idolatry and error, he lived a life of faith for over 100 years. He faced many challenges, as we do, um, He had to leave family and homeland. He traveled to an unknown land at God's leading. He lived as a pilgrim or a stranger in that land of false gods as we do in our land today. He encountered problems like famine and uh, other 
uh, tests within his family. There was no child born for 25 years, despite God's promise. And again, we can find ourselves um, praying for things that are according to the word of God, and they seem to go unanswered. So we ended that series noting Abraham continued to bear fruit in his old age. Right through to his death. What a lovely thing that is. And how that ought to be our desire and prayer that we will bear fruit to the last breath that we draw on this earth. We turn then to Genesis 25 and verse 12 and we're going through tonight to verse 26, page 26. And the title of our study tonight is A Tale of Two Sons. A Tale of Two Sons. Because Abraham died with two main sons. Yes, he had sons to his second wife, but the scriptures pass over them quickly and focus here on two family trees. And that is a recurring feature in Genesis. Each time the focus moves from one generation to the next, the account begins with two family trees. For example, Genesis chapter 4. You have the account of Cain and his descendants, and on the other hand, the family tree of Seth that led to Noah. And then in Genesis chapter 9, uh, as we're moving into another generation, uh, Canaan uh, and Japheth are left to the one side, and the focus is on Shem. Again in Genesis chapter 11, we read that there was Nahor, and there was Terah, uh, and there was Laban. And Laban and Nahor are left to the one side, and the focus is uh, on Terah and his descendants. There are two family trees, two lines that flow down from Adam and from the time of the fall. And we need to realize that on the one hand, we have the line of the unbelieving, the seed of the serpent, to use the phrase in Genesis chapter 3. And on the other hand, we have the line of the believing, the seed of the woman that would bring ultimately and lead ultimately to Christ, the one in whom they themselves look to for salvation. And that's what we have here now as we move from Abraham to the next generation. Ishmael is dealt with in his family line, family tree, quickly, from verse 12 through to verse 18. And then the focus is upon Isaac. Because he is the godly line. 
And so as we think about the tale of two sons this evening, the first thing we want to see tonight is a tale of two contrasting sons. These sons are very different. Yes, they have the same father, but they have a different mother. And in some respects, that difference in the mother, who she was, what she represented, is reflected and carried on in them. Ishmael is introduced, verse 12, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. Ishmael is not the result of the marital union that took place between Abraham and Sarah, but Ishmael is the product of an inappropriate, a wrong relationship, a wrong union in the sight of God. Yes, in those days, um, men often went to servants, uh, to maidservants, had children by them. That's not what God intended. God gave Adam one wife, one woman, to whom he was to be joined all his life, and only through her was he to have children. But as we know, Abraham um, and Sarah faltered at this point. God had promised Abraham and Sarah a son, but for ten years no son had come despite their trying and their waiting. Sarah continued barren. And as Sarah's biological clock ticked away, they lost hope. She was in her late 70s, 77 actually. And she came up with what seemed to be the ideal solution. We have a woman in our home. Abraham, you got her. We got her when we were in Egypt, the time of famine. She's precious to us. She's special to us. You sleep with her. And you can obtain the promised son by her. It worked. It worked. At one level. At a human level. But with tragic consequences. For Abraham and Sarah. And everybody in that family. Because of the disobedience and the lack of faith, there were 13 years of silence that followed. No word of God, no word from God for the 13 years until Abraham was 89. There was untold misery in the family. You remember Sarah, how she came to realize, well, my maidservant thinks I'm better than Sarah because I am now pregnant with his child. And Sarah felt displaced by it all and despised by it all. And then when Abraham didn't take proper leadership and allowed Sarah to do her own thing, 
Hagar is cast out, a woman pregnant, into the wilderness. And only by God's goodness and certainly his common grace and perhaps even his saving grace. There may have been saving grace in the life of this woman. There certainly was common grace. God sent her back to the house of Abraham and there she remained for a further 13 years. But then think of when at 13 years of age, or sorry, it's slightly older than that, about 15 years of age, maybe 16 years of age, this son Ishmael and his mother are cast out finally and permanently from the house of Abraham. Why? Because this son was mocking Isaac, the son of promise. And Abraham realized that the unbelief of one son and the faith of the other was not going to work together. And God told him to send Hagar and Ishmael away. So there's a great contrast here. And we're told here in the passage about Ishmael and his descendants that verse 16, sorry, verse 18, when this man becomes established and with his own um, sons and his own influence, they lived in hostility towards all their brothers. As it's put in an earlier passage uh, in Genesis, this man turned out to be a bit of a brute of a man. He was constantly warring and fighting um, against um, others. And the roots of the Arab people, the roots of Islam, go back to Ishmael. And I think it's an interesting thought to have that the hostility back then is a hostility that still continues today between the descendants of Ishmael, the Arabs, the Muslims, and those of the seed of the woman, the people of God. And there is that attempt today as well by the descendants of Ishmael to wipe out and to destroy the seed of God and his people. So Ishmael, he received a godly upbringing. Remember, he's in the home of Abraham, a man of faith, a man who taught his children the ways of God. And remember, this, this boy received the sign of circumcision, the sign of the covenant. But Ishmael rejected the God of his father, the God of Abraham. He rejected the salvation that involved the forgiveness of sins. And he said, I will not have God to rule over my life. It's a real blessing, young people, to be brought up in a covenant home with godly parents. To receive the sign of the covenant, baptism. 
and to be the subject of all those blessings of parents who believe, parents who pray for you, parents who teach you the word of God, parents who exemplify Jesus Christ to you. But young people, that does not save you. You yourself have got to embrace the God of your father and mother. In Jesus Christ, you have to repent of your sin. You have to believe in order to be saved. And so it's possible for a young person to grow up in a Christian home and to be an Ishmael. Now let's think about the other son, Isaac. Because in this mess that Abraham has created and Sarah, the Lord renews this promise of a son to Abraham and Sarah when Ishmael is 13 years of age. And Abraham is almost 100. And Sarah is almost 90. And so immediately they acknowledge and recognize that they're past the age of childbearing. But is anything too hard for the Lord? No, it isn't. He is the son that God gives them when Sarah is past childbearing. He is the son of promise. He is the son of faith in the power of God who grew up to enjoy the blessings of God, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Christ who came centuries later from the family of Abraham. Two contrasting sons Ishmael is the son of works. He was brought into existence by a lack of faith, by human effort, by human works. And Isaac, on the other hand, is the son of faith in God's promise. And tonight... Every one of us in this room, we are either an Ishmael or we are an Isaac. If you're an Ishmael, you're someone who's trying to get to God by your works. I will do it my way. I don't want this idea of believing and waiting and trusting And receiving my sins, um, the forgiveness of my sins. I will improve my own life. God will accept me because of what I do. That's Ishmael. On the other hand, if you're an Isaac, you're saying there is nothing good in me. Nothing that makes me acceptable to God. I'm a sinner by nature and by deed. 
I deserve the wrath of God and hell forever. But God is gracious. And God has provided wonderfully and freely a way of salvation for me in Jesus Christ. And I lay hold of him by faith. And I build my whole life on him. On what he did. On the cross at Calvary. And you see to you who are Isaacs tonight. God says if you confess with your lips the Lord Jesus. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And you don't have to be in any doubt about that. And you can build your life and you can build eternity on that. What blessing, what privilege belongs to you and me who cast ourselves on the word that reveals Christ and makes us like Christ. But equally, What untold misery awaits any who rely on their works. Two contrasting sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Which are you tonight? But then secondly, let's notice two contrasting Uh, lifestyles two contrasting lifestyles and you see this flows out of who they are because what you are before God is how you will live life if you're an Ishmael you will live like Ishmael if we're an Isaac we will live like Isaac So we have six verses, 12 to 18, that are devoted to the life of Ishmael. They record his marriage. We're told it was to an Egyptian woman, and that in itself is significant. He's grown up within the covenant people of God with all the privileges, but where does he go for a wife? He goes to a foreign land. He doesn't go as Isaac um, goes under Abraham's guidance back to the people from which uh, Abraham had come. These verses also record the 12 sons born to him. Notice there's almost a parallel. 12 sons um, ultimately born to Abraham. So this man has 12 sons, Ishmael. Notice the success the sons enjoy in life. Each of them founds a city. Would you or I, would many as a person not be very satisfied if their son founded a city and that city had their name in perpetuity forever and ever? So these sons became leaders. They became men of influence men of standing in the community in their own right and not to overlook the extensive area of land 
that the family of Ishmael occupied. Because we're told that it stretched from towards Egypt. So from that, if you're thinking of it from the left away across to the right, that area down below the land of Canaan. And so uh, we see Ishmael and his descendants here. Successful, prominent uh, in life. But then let's look at Isaac. There's eight verses given to Isaac from verse 19 to 26. And the verses, of course, were put in by man. Uh, They weren't there originally, but there is slightly more space given to Isaac. Notice he marries at 40. And then, um, if we do a little bit of calculations and we look further ahead... And we read about it. The son is not born until 60. That means there were 20 frustrating and disappointing years for Isaac and Rebekah without a son. Without a single son. And here's Ishmael down the road or in the next uh, uh, area. And he is having multiple sons. And then when Rebecca conceives. Notice her womb becomes a battlefield. Now women will tell you that in the latter stages of pregnancy. They can feel like a football. Because the child within them begins to kick. uh, As it gets bigger. Well here's a woman and she feels as if. There's a a wrestling match, a war going on inside her from the moment they're conceived. Verse 22, the children struggle together. And that word struggle means to break, to bruise, to crush, to oppress. So there's this battle going on. Which will crush? Which will oppress? Which can bruise the other? And this battle was seen at birth. Because as Esau, the first is born, the second comes out and he's holding on to the heel of the first. And this then, as we'll see in future studies, continues throughout life. Now in time, both Jacob and Esau become leaders of separate nations, as scripture says here. But the younger prevails. Now notice that Isaac, like his father Abraham, and unlike Ishmael, owns no land apart from a family burial plot. Notice verse 11, it says, He lived at Beer Lahai Roy, whilst Ishmael and his family, verse 18, settled down. It's a different word. Uh, and, and it's the same word as you have in Genesis 3 verse 24 where God placed the cherubim at the garden to keep Adam and Eve out of it. So they were there permanently. So it's the idea of permanence on the part of Ishmael. But what's Isaac? He's just wandering from place to place in this land. 
And the only thing he has is a grave. How very different are the lifestyles of Ishmael and Isaac. And in every age and in every family, these two contrasting lifestyles exist to a greater or lesser extent. Because Ishmael, his lifestyle is what? It's material. It's material. It's built around uh, cities and land and a name and prosperity. All of those things that are temporal and material. But then look at Isaac. And what do we find him doing? Well, we find him praying when his wife is not having a child. And we find his wife praying when she is perplexed and, and distressed by what's happening so in, in her womb. And so what do they, what are we learning about them? We're learning that they are spiritual uh, a man and a spiritual woman. They're a man and a woman whose focus is on God. And yes, it's challenging to be in this barrenness and it's challenging for, for Rebecca to experience all this uh, trouble in her womb, but they are looking to God and believing in him, holding on to his promise and knowing his salvation, knowing the forgiveness of their sins through the Christ who would ultimately come. And you see, both sons, remember, grew up in a godly family. And Ishmael, all that he had was God's blessing. Go back to Genesis um, 16, 17, maybe 18, I think it is. 17 it is, and 18. And you'll read there that Abraham prayed that Ishmael would know God's blessing and live under God's blessing. In other words, he was saying, I don't need another son. I have a son. Forget about the promise. Just make Ishmael the one you want him to be. God said, no, no, I'm not going to change my word. You're going to have the son of promise that will be gotten by faith. But yes, I will bless Ishmael. Because of his relationship with you. And you can see that still happening. In covenant families today. Where a son, a daughter. Can grow up. With, familiar with all the things of God. But in their heart they're an Ishmael. And yes they're blessed in life. But it's only in the material things. And there's a great temptation for us to blur the distinction there. And to somehow think, well, actually that son or that daughter, well, they've just got on in a different way. We can't blur the distinction. There's got to be a pain in our hearts. And there's got to be a passion in our prayers. Lord, Take away every material thing. If that is what is needed in order to humble my son, my daughter, who will not believe in you despite having heard of you and seen you and knowing that you're real. 
And so, two contrasting lifestyles. But let's broaden that out again. To ask, not only am I an Ishmael tonight, seeking to get right with God by my works and by my own efforts, and saying, I'm trying so hard, as opposed to saying, I rely on Jesus, and I live by faith, as Isaac did. But let's ask the further question now about the contrasting lifestyles. What is my lifestyle? Is it material? Is it only what I can get and have in this world? Or am I a man, am I a woman like Isaac and Rebecca, a man, a woman of faith and of prayer and who cries out to God in every situation that confronts me in life? Jesus put it like this. Here's what he said. Do not lay up treasures on earth. He was speaking to his disciples, those who had professed him. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve God and material things. You can't serve both. One has got to have the central place, the upper place. And so he went on to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So let's understand the importance of the spiritual blessings of the covenant. Not just the material. Because material is treasure on earth. The spiritual, to live by faith in the Son of God as our Savior, is eternal. And it's heavenly. And as Christians, when we're tempted to envy the prosperous, when we're tempted to go after the riches of the world, when we're tempted to think, well, you know, I have a hard deal from God. It's a struggle materially. Let's remember that there's only one lifestyle that is worth following. And it's that which lays up treasure in heaven. Better to be a pauper on earth and to be an exceedingly rich person in heaven than to be rich on this earth and to have nothing in the life after. And that brings us to our final point in a sentence or two this evening. Because just touched on briefly, and it's two contrasting destinies. Two contrasting destinies. I want to comment on the little phrase where it says, um, they died. It speaks of Ishmael that... uh, He lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died. And he was gathered to his people. And then uh, we read of Isaac later on. Uh, He died 
He was gathered to his people and then he was buried. Notice the order. Died. Gathered to his people. And then buried. What does that middle phrase mean? Gathered to his people. What sense was Ishmael gathered to his people? In what sense was Abraham gathered to his people? Because we read of that earlier on. And um, in what sense was Isaac, as we read there in Genesis 35, gathered to his people when he died? Well, it means they went to the people who lived like them. So Ishmael goes to his family and those like him, before him and after him, who lived only for the material and who lived by works. And where does a life of works, I'll make my own way to God, I'm trying hard, I'm a good person, and um, where does that life lead? It leads ultimately to an eternity without God. What the Bible names as hell. And there's no, not even any of God's blessings of his common grace are to be found there. But then for Abraham and Isaac to be gathered to their people means to be gathered to God and to be with the people of God. Those who before them, Seth and Noah and others, who lived for God and walked with God and those after them gathered to God and to his people. So let's realize that the life of an Ishmael uh, and being an Ishmael and living like an Ishmael leads on a path of separation from God forever. Being an Isaac, living by faith in the Son of God as our Saviour. And living a lifestyle consistent with that, that lays up treasure in heaven. It leads to a destiny, which is to be with God forever and ever. And that's what makes the ups and downs and the challenges of living by faith in this world bearable. And possible. Because we know that there's an inheritance. Laid up for us in heaven. Which is incorruptible. And undefiled. In Jesus Christ. A tale. Of two sons. Two contrasting sons. They're two contrasting lifestyles. And they're two contrasting. Destinies. Amen.